Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, I want to thank you for just being with us this afternoon. I want to thank you for your anointing on us, Lord, as we worship. You come so quickly to us. We're amazed, Lord, at how you touch us. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you keep coming on us. Lord, I ask you for your anointing as I preach this afternoon. And and Lord, I pray you'd just come with power. Lord, we want changed lives as a result of your word. We, we want our lives to line up with what your word says, not what our experience dictates. So we ask you, Lord, come, Holy Spirit. Would you come and birth something new in us, in our hearts this afternoon? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes, he's opening doors. Oh, very good. Very prophetic. Uh, do you know, I guess that all of us have some kind of routine, some kind of daily series of habits every day, every time we wake up in the morning. I, uh, just to tell you about mine, I'm sure you're very interested and in insight into my life. I wake up around about seven o'clock in the morning on a school day. My wife brings me a cup of tea in a very large mug and then I go to the shower and I stand in the shower for a long time wondering whether I've washed my hair or not and find that I usually have washed it twice, forgetting to shave usually and then having to get back in. I call it sleep showering, something that's uh, it's good. You can extend your sleep for a good period of time. And then for the rest of this year, I've been taking my son to school on the bicycle and I come back and uh, I have a coffee and a pint mug, and I'm almost awake by this time, and uh, so I sit down and read my Bible, worship and pray, and that's been my routine pretty much for the whole of this year. It's all going to change because Sam goes to secondary school, and I'm not going to be taking him anymore, so it's an end of an era. But, you know, we all have some kind of daily routine, and it just helps us, doesn't it? It just helps us, that sense of routine. Of course, the great thing about holiday time is the routines change. First thing I do on holiday is take off my watch. I sleep when I'm tired, and I eat when I'm hungry. I love that about holidays. But those routines are important to us for general, everyday life. We need those routines. Otherwise, if we don't have routine, we can become very... lazy, we don't achieve much, we kind of go around in circles a bit, and certainly when it comes to prayer and our relationship with God, it's good to have a clear kind of routine, a way of doing things that you get into, a chair that you sit in, you know, a particular time that you pray, those sorts of things are all very helpful, aren't they? And uh, routine... And developing good habits is very much at the heart of the Lord's Prayer, which we've been looking at over the last few weeks in Matthew chapter 6, if you'd like to turn to that. Matthew chapter 6. And I'm just going to pick out uh, a few verses. First of all, I want to pick out verse 11. Verse 11 of the Lord's Prayer, which is, Give us this day our daily bread. And I'm not going to spend a a lot of time on this. Actually, Steve Chittock did a brilliant job of expounding and illustrating this passage uh, last month. But just want to pick on one word or a concept of words that is in that sentence. And that's this word daily. This daily bread, this, uh, this daily aspect, it's an important phrase, and I think it shows us how Jesus expects us to use this prayer. See, Jesus, unlike other teachers of his day, didn't give his disciples a kind of formula that they had to follow. So most pious Jews of Jesus' time would have prayed three times a day. They would have prayed first thing in the morning at sunrise. Uh, they would have prayed and read, read prayers and read passages from the Bible around about three o'clock in the afternoon and then they would have prayed again at sundown and you can see that in the book of Daniel if you read the story of Daniel that's generally how Jews would pray but that's not what Jesus teaches us because he puts right at the heart of the prayer he teaches us our daily needs and I think this is a, a really clear indicator of Jesus' expectation of the frequency and regularity of prayer in our lives. You see, we all have daily needs, don't we? Uh, we have needs for food. Anybody like to eat? 
Uh, we, we need to drink every day. We need to drink several times a day, otherwise we get ill, don't we? We also need daily forgiveness, daily deliverance, and daily protection. That's what Jesus sets up right in the heart of this prayer. See, every day and every moment of every day, we need these things. I mean, think about how many times you eat during the day, some too much. <laughs> or think about how many times do you drink or even take a breath. These things are so necessary for life, for us to live. And if we don't have them, if we don't breathe, pretty soon we're going to die. If we don't eat or drink, pretty soon we're going to die. Physically, we die. And so it is without this regular habit of prayer and dependence on God, which prayer indicates spiritually we die also. I was driving past a church a little while ago and it had this phrase up on, on the wall, which I thought was really quite clever. It said, uh, seven days without prayer makes one week. W-E-A-K. Do you get that? Seven days without prayer makes one week. And it's true. If we don't pray, if we don't spend time with God, spiritually, we die. So give me this day our daily bread. It's like saying to God, give me what I need for this day. Give me what I need for this day. And I don't know how many times a day I think we need to pray that. But give me what I need today is at least we need to pray that every day. And prayer, I want to say, I want to suggest to you today, is as important to us as life itself. It's as important as eating, drinking, or taking a breath. And this is never truer, in my view, than when it comes to our sin and our daily need for forgiveness. So verse 12, which is where I really want us to settle today. Verse 12 talks about this, where it says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now this word debts, I think, needs a bit of explanation because as soon as you talk about debts, especially in our culture, you think about your credit card bill at home or you think about your overdraft or your mortgage, but that's not what this is about. Debts, well, that's the word that Matthew uses. Luke uses a different word. He uses the word sins. Debts or sins, these two words. And and you'll notice that there are these different words, or sometimes Luke talks about trespasses. In the authorised version, it talks about trespasses, which is a really great word, I think, for in a building like this, if everybody says it all together. Can we all just say trespasses together? Trespasses. It's just got a lovely sound to it, isn't it? Anyway, so it's either debts or it's trespasses or it's sin. So which one is it? Which one should it be? Is it Matthew who wins or is it Luke? Well, actually, it's one. Uh, it's both, actually. The Greek was the original translation of this, but before that, it was probably Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus spoke, his kind of everyday language. And Aramaic had a word in it which had both meanings. It had the meanings of, of debts, and it had the, the meanings of sins. And these debts are the debts that are owed to God. Debts that are owed to God morally... And sins are those which are the breaches of God's holy law. So the debts that are owed to God morally and sins which are breaches of God's law. And even today, if you think about it, there are many things that we can do which are not technically illegal, but they're morally suspect. Morally suspect. And that's got to do somewhat to do with our our conscience, what we feel is wrong. So in the news this week, for example, the Treasury Minister, David Gork, said that it was morally wrong to pay tradesmen, such as plumbers, builders and cleaners, in cash in the hope of avoiding tax. Did you see that? Morally wrong to pay people in cash... And the key phrase in that sentence is, in the hope of avoiding tax. So it's a deliberate thing. Tradesman comes and does a job for you, and you say, look, if, if we pay in cash, you know, can we just sort of forget the, the tax on top? So that's what's morally wrong 
uh, David Gork says. It's not illegal. Uh, you can't be prosecuted for doing that. If you're the one that's paying somebody, the, the builder or whatever could probably get in trouble. But it's, is it morally right to do it? Is it morally right to do it? That's what's being asked here. I don't personally think it's right. Uh, my conscience won't allow me to do it, neither will my sense of justice. You know, why shouldn't he pay tax when I pay all the tax that I pay? I don't think it's morally right, and I refuse to pay tradesmen in that way. That's just my conscience, that's how I feel. Uh, you might have a different view on that, but I'd, I'd question you and say that you were wrong. Um, and of course, similar questions are being asked about the super-rich and any super rich people here today? I just don't want to offend anybody. No, I didn't think so. Um, but there are various tax avoidance schemes. There's questions being asked about the moral correctness of that. And as I'm not one of those super rich people and have very little influence over many of them, uh, well, I'll just say that I have similar moral concerns but no need to exercise anything different. And so what I'm trying to say is we need to ask God to forgive us for both our moral and legal failures every day, routinely. But more than that, we need to ask God to forgive us every time we sin or the instant we become aware of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I think most of us have a tendency to kind of build things up. We kind of go through the day and we do things wrong and we, we commit different sins or, or whatever and they kind of build up and build up and then we get to the evening and we switch on the telly and we don't do much else for the rest of the evening and the next morning we forget to spend any time with God because we're too busy. So we go through that day as well. We commit all sorts of other heinous sins and by the end of the week, by Sunday usually, we come in and we're heavy. We're just burdened down with the weeks, the weeks sin, if you like, the sins, the heaviness of that. And uh, Paul says, he says, lay aside every weight that so easily besets us so we can run. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be free. He wants us to be light. He wants us to be able to run. Lay, lay aside the weights that so easily come on us. And I think sins can be like that. They come on us. They weigh us down. You know, and if you, it's hard to, to run physically, isn't it? If you put on weight, if you get large, it's certainly more challenging to run. Or well, it's the same spiritually. Uh, when you're weighed down with sin, well, it's just got this habit of weighing us down and sinking us, this build-up of sins. I wonder, are you in danger of that? Are you, are you in that category at the moment? Are you struggling? Are you feeling a bit weighed down? So how was worship for you this morning, for example? That's a, that is a good test. When we come into worship, we're just feeling heavy and laden down and we don't know where God is anymore or whether I even know him. It's just this sense of a, a gap, a hardness perhaps. It's because it's hard to soar in worship when you've got lead in your boots. <laughs> it's hard to soar in worship like that. I mean, one of the tests for me is uh, I seem to have this thing of unconsciously singing all the time. Steve Wicking has the same annoying habit. And... Uh, I unconsciously sing if I walk somewhere, if I drive somewhere. I tend to just hum or sing unless I'm not right with God. I tend to find that I don't. I'm very quiet or I'm a bit morbid or morose. And certainly when you come into worship, there's, there's a heaviness. It's difficult to worship God because we're clogged up. Don't allow yourself to become habitually clogged up with sin. Rather, we must habitually confess our sins. Keep short accounts with God. John writes, and I discovered this version called the ISV, the International Something Version. Uh, I don't think that's what a suspect version may be. I don't know. The ISV, but he, he, they put this so well, this line in 1 John 1.9, it says, if we make it our habit 
to confess our sins, in his faithful righteousness, he forgives us for those sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we make it our habit, what's your habit regarding your sin? What's your habit? What's your habitual position regarding sin? Confess it daily. Confession allows us to access the freedom of forgiveness. The freedom of forgiveness. Isn't it wonderful to know that you're forgiven? Don't you just feel so light and so happy and so joyful when you know your sins are forgiven? One or two people. Let me just say that again. I know it's the acoustics. Maybe you didn't hear me. Isn't it wonderful to know that you're forgiven? Not to be weighed down anymore. Not to feel heavy. Not to feel lead in your boots. To know that you're forgiven. Isn't it wonderful to have a clean conscience? Yeah. Praise the Lord. I was getting worried then. And this freedom of forgiveness that comes from confession is just about unlimited. Unlimited forgiveness. Think about that. Unlimited. And I say just about because there is a question, and I don't think this is a theological term, it's just a descriptive one, but there is a question of conditional forgiveness. Conditional forgiveness. Because it seems from what Jesus tells us to pray here that there is an element of condition to our forgiveness. Verse 12 again, and forgive us our debts, this is our prayer, as, that little word that sneaks in there, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven those that have sinned against us, as Luke puts it. And just in case you're in any doubt and maybe think that that word slipped in by accident, Jesus reiterates it after teaching us the prayer in Matthew 6, saying in verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, just to be doubly clear, if you do not forgive others your sins, it's a mirror of the same thing. If you do not forgive others your sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. He will not forgive your sins if you don't forgive those that sin against you. So Jesus is saying that God is unwilling or unable, perhaps, to forgive us if we haven't forgiven other people. And this is a common theme in Jesus' teaching. Mark eleven twenty five says this. Mark eleven twenty five. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, anything against anyone, when you stand praying, forgive them. So that, two words this time, your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. I think this is one of the most worrying teachings in the Bible. God will only forgive me if I forgive them. God will only forgive you if you forgive him, them, that person. Who is that person? That person. You know, the one that keeps coming back in your mind. Or that situation, that problem, that issue that came from that person. God will only forgive you if you forgive them for what they did to you all those years ago or yesterday. One of the most troubling teachings, I think, in the Bible. So how are you doing with daily forgiveness then? Yourself. Because, you know, you expect, we expect, don't we, that God will forgive us every day when we pray that prayer, Lord, forgive me my sins. 
We expect that God's going to do that for us. And Jesus says, yes, I will, but only in just the same way that you have forgiven him, her. I'll forgive you exactly the same way that you've forgiven that person. Are you happy with that level of forgiveness from God for yourself? If your own record of forgiveness is the measure, then how do you shape up? Are you forgiven? (laughs) You might say, well, I didn't sign up for this. You know, I thought it was all sorted. Well, whoever said that forgiveness was easy, think about how much it cost Jesus to forgive you. He suffered beyond anything that we could ever imagine. I'm sure we can identify with some of the physical attributes of his suffering, but we can't identify fully with what it means for the Son of God to suffer and die, to experience the sins of the whole world, to know separation from the Father, which he'd known since from before the beginning of time. We can't even begin to understand how much Jesus suffered when he died. He laid down his life and died a horrible death. And forgiveness is always costly and it always involves sacrifice. Look at the Old Testament. There's your example. It was the best lamb that was slaughtered and it involved blood. It cost something and it involved sacrifice and the spilling of blood. Now, I don't want you to come to the position that you doubt your salvation through this. Because Jesus has forgiven us our sin. That's what the cross is all about. The cross also guarantees not just that our sin is forgiven, but that our sins can be forgiven. Jesus has dealt with our sin, but our sins still need to be forgiven. Let me just illustrate it for you uh, in a story that Jesus told, and I can't think of a better illustration than the story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 18. Don't turn to it, just listen to the story and, uh, and take it in. I think this is a powerful story, and it's so clear that it really needs very little explanation. And I also think it's one of the most sobering tales that Jesus told. And I believe that if you allow the full force of this story to, to reach your heart, it will change your whole approach and attitude towards this challenge of forgiving others. And I just want to say that over the last few years in particular, I've lived in godly fear of this teaching and still do. So let me just read it to you. You're going to wonder what on earth I'm going to read now. So you build it up, you build it up, and then you read it. That's how you get their attention. I learned that. Yeah, you're listening now, eh? Okay, Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus with a, sto- with a question that I think many of us might be asking. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. That's a million dollars. Okay, 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. 
But the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But then that servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a couple of dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Turned him over to the torturers. It's pretty sobering stuff, isn't it? When you consider that this is probably the clearest illustration of Jesus' teaching about forgiveness. And especially that line in the Lord's Prayer. But look, the truth is, you've been forgiven a million dollars. Each one of us that have accepted Christ have been forgiven a million, million, million dollars. Each of us has had innumerable numbers of sins forgiven. That's what the primary focus of the story is. You have been forgiven much. So therefore, these few dollars... Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Jesus says, forever. Every time they annoy you. Every time they hurt you. Every time you're reminded of them or their sin against you comes back to you. However many times they do the same thing. Because that's how much you've been forgiven. Putting it another way. You've been forgiven. We've been forgiven so much. So many times. How many times have you said to God, God, I've done it again? That's okay, you're forgiven. Relief. Do you know, I I found that when somebody really hurts me, it's like every remembrance of them can hurt all over again. Have you found that? When somebody's really hurt you? It can be... It can even be someone you meet who reminds you of the person that hurt you. It might be just their mannerisms or their tone of voice or they look slightly like that person that really hurt you and it hurts again. Bring it all back. Or every time you encounter a situation that is similar to the one that you were hurt in, it can hurt you again. And you find, you're shocked because you think, I I thought this was all sorted. But you overreact massively. And you remember and realize that it's not quite healed up yet. Seventy times seven is a difficult number. And getting healed from all those injuries can take time, but it's so essential that we do if we are to escape the torment of unforgiveness that Jesus warned us about at the end of the story. In his anger, his master turned him over to the tormentors until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Forgive from the heart means I forgive to such a degree, to such depth that it changes my life. 
It changes my whole approach. It changes my attitude towards that person, towards that situation. That's what it means to forgive from the heart. That's not just, okay, I'll say it again. It means, no, I'm actually going to completely change my attitude towards them. The torment of unforgiveness. Can this be true? Is this what really happens? Well, if you've ever struggled with unforgiveness, then you'll know that it is true. You'll know that it is like torment. It's a kind of torment that you live with every day. And I've often described it to people like this. I don't know if this helps, it just helps me. It's a bit like a fishing line has been cast into your heart with a weight, weighted hook on the end of it. And the hook has buried itself deep into the flesh of your own heart. And that fishing line is attached. And every time something happens, every time you see that person, every time you think about that person, there's a little tug, a little tug, and it rips and it hurts again. You know, initially when it happens, you might get angry, you might get upset, but then as time passes, perhaps you don't see them for a while. Perhaps you remove yourself from the situation. The initial pain doesn't hurt so much anymore. And you think, well, it's okay now. But you see, what happens is that fishing hook, that weighted lead, just goes deeper. And what happens is it buries itself deeper into your heart, and then it becomes calloused. And then it's like the flesh of your heart grows around it. And you carry a heavy heart. Your heart becomes scarred. And calloused. And then something, something happens. A situation perhaps that is similar to the one that first cast that hook into your heart. Somebody else comes into your life and hurts you. And it pulls. And because this time it's buried deeper, it seems to hurt even more. And it pulls again. And because the fishing line that's attached to the hook is still attached to that situation or to that person who hurts you, it rips your heart again. And the wound goes deeper. And if you don't deal with it, your heart grows harder. Do you know what I mean? So, is there a hook or two buried in your heart today? Has your heart become hardened? But you'll be all right because the defences are in place. (laughs) Are you a defensive person because of it? Don't want to get hurt again. Don't want to trust again. It's serious stuff. Do you need some hooks removed and some of heaven's healing in those wounds? Because that's what you need to do. See, forgiveness is letting others off the hook. Heard that phrase? Letting someone off the hook. That's what it, the word literally means, forgive. It means let go, let them off. Let them get away. The fish that you caught, you let them go. You toss it back. Without you being able to exact the revenge that you long for. Because that's why forgiveness is so hard. We want to make them hurt too. But that hook... The one that is buried in your heart is doing you harm. It's damaging you. The fishing line that they have is so light, they don't even feel it. They're not even aware that it's there. So you're carrying this heavy weight that's hurting you. And the fishing line 
doesn't mean anything to them. And you can pull on it all you like, it won't mean a thing. I hope you don't mind me just taking some time to talk this through. I think it's a really important aspect of forgiveness that we need to understand because we mustn't let hooks fester in our hearts. We mustn't allow these things to stink, to become infected because the longer it goes on, that's what happens. It makes us ill. Spiritually, we've become oppressed and even depressed if these things continue. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 to 27, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a place. Don't give him a place where he can occupy you or your airspace, where he can pull on the strings himself. You know that's what he's like. He knows just where the strings are. He's the master puppeteer, and he just pulls on them every now and again, and you get a tug. And unforgiveness doesn't just give us emotional or physical problems it can also affect us spiritually. And unforgiveness, in my experience, is one of the commonest causes of demonic oppression or interference in people's lives. It's a robber of freedom like no other. And very often you're completely unaware of why you're feeling that way or why certain things are happening. It seems like suddenly God's hand of protection isn't there like it was. His presence isn't as keen. Old sins start to reappear. Anger becomes a problem. A kind of numbness to the Holy Spirit. I speak from experience. (laughs) Sound familiar? So if all these things are so hard and they're happening, if, if these are some of the consequences and God's forgiveness is being held back For my sin, why do we find it so hard to forgive others? Why do we find it so hard? Sense of justice, the need of vengeance, payback. Just some of the list I'm aware of. And you might have your own to add. Hmm. Let me just tell you a few more things about forgiveness as we come to a close. Because I want to try and help you. Because firstly, what I've learned is that forgiveness is not forgetting. I learned this from doing the Freedom in Christ course many years ago. If you've done that course, you'll have heard that. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you think about it, how can God, who knows everything, forget? It's just that he chooses not to remember. And particularly, he chooses not to use it against you. If you've ever had a husband and wife argument, (laughs) you'll know that sometimes forgiveness hasn't been done properly because suddenly they'll throw it back at you. Remember 1984 when you did this and that? What? Wives, that is. They have these amazing memories to remember such things in such detail. Of course, us men are much holier than that. For us, forgiving others is not about forgetting or even necessarily, and this is a hard one, or even necessarily about the restoration of relationships. Sometimes it's just not possible to be restored to that person. Sometimes the hurt has been so great or the abuse has been so severe that you can't ever pretend everything is all right again. A relationship has to change, but you can still be at peace. But letting others off enables our own healing. It releases us from the torment of unforgiveness. And most importantly, it makes way for God's forgiveness in our own lives, which we really need, don't we? And we want to be close to God. And we don't want these things weighing us down. Secondly, So forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not a feeling. 
So many times when I say to people in pastoral situations, well, you've got to forgive that person, but I don't feel like it. I don't feel any kind of forgiveness towards them. I I think if I do it, it would be false. That's a classic. How do you get around that one? Because it says forgive from the heart, doesn't it? But you know, forgiveness has got to be a ruthless and calculated decision that is made. The feelings may follow later. They may follow. But we need to forgive by faith and in obedience to what God has said. God forgives us on the legal basis of Jesus' death, not because he feels like it. He forgives us because there's a legal contest that's been won. And forgiveness is now ours. Trust God then that as you obey him, that he will make things right and that he will also judge rightly. Because that thing about revenge and trying to get even and they need to learn and all that kind of thing, we never get it right because, you know, there's always fault on both sides, always. I used to do law and I did divorce law. And I, and when I first started doing it, I'd hear the lady and she'd cry and she'd pour her heart out and my little pastor's heart would be moved and I'd be on her side and I'd want to get him and all the rest. I'd be sending the boys round, you know. And then a few days later, the guy would come in and he's come in just to sign something. But before you know it, he's pouring his heart out to me and she's done this and that. And, and then I'm on his side and I'm crying with him and I got my arm around his shoulder and say, look, I don't want to act for her anymore. I want to be your lawyer. Do you know, there's always fault on both sides, always. Only God can see perfectly. Only God can know and judge. And only he can sort them out if that's what they need. And he does. Forgiving somebody, that baddie over there, puts them into God's dock. And he judges. And he does it far better and far more fairly than any of us could ever do. But forgiveness, number three, is not easy. And it's very hard to do. I've already reminded you, reminded you of how hard it was for Jesus. Forgiveness is costly. Anybody who says anything less doesn't know anything about forgiveness. Quite frankly, it has to cost something. It involves sacrifice. And it must be maintained. I've discovered this. I forgave them ten years ago, and yet now here I am. I thought I'd dealt with this. That's what 70 times 7 means. It's not just every time they do the same thing. It's every time you think about them. It's every time that situation comes up again and you're angry with them again. Every time you say, but I'm still going to forgive. You made me feel that way, but I'm still going to forgive. I choose forgiveness. 70 times 7. It's not easy. It's very hard to do. It's costly. But it's an incredible relief when you've done it. Do you know, I can guarantee that if you have forgiven somebody from the heart, you will walk out of here a different person today. You will feel lighter. You'll feel closer to God. You will feel a million dollars. I've um, led people through prayers of forgiveness many times in one-to-one, because quite often it has to be done one-to-one because there's some big stuff that people work through. And I brought them to that place where I say, you've got to forgive that person. And no, I'm not going to forgive that person. I said, go on, just try. Just have a go. I'm pleading with them to forgive that person because I know... The cost. I know what's at stake. And eventually they'll, they'll say it. They'll say the words. Just, they'll start to say it. And even as they say it, they go, oh, the battle is over. And then it, it comes out. It's like a flow. And they're forgiving. They're forgiving even for things that they don't even need to forgive for because it just feels so wonderful to, to be free from that.
So Lord, Jesus, will you forgive our debts, our sins, as we have forgiven our debtors and those that have sinned against us? The presumption of this prayer is that we have already forgiven others. Have you? Are you entitled to pray that prayer today? Have you forgiven? Got any hooks or crooks? Need any healing? I'm not going to call people forward because I know that these things are hard and they're costly and they need to be done seriously, okay? So just in case you start worrying, you'll know you can start pointing us out or something or not going to do that. But I do want us to stand in God's presence and I want to just ask the Holy Spirit because one of the things you mustn't do now is go away on a fishing expedition in your own heart. If you do that, you'll pull up all kinds of rubbish. Don't do it. David was very wise. He said, search me, O God. Show me. You try my heart because, do you know, I'll probably miss some of the worst bits and hammer myself for some of the not-so-bad bits because that's the way I am. Or else I'll just focus on one thing which is massive to me but actually is very small to God. I was praying with somebody this week and they're not here, so it's okay. And uh, and they were saying... Um, I've done this big thing. I've done this dreadful, dreadful thing. It's just so awful. I can't deal with it. It's just oh, its so massive. It's so huge. It's like this big Goliath monster in my life. I said, really, what did you do? They told me this heinous sin. I said, really? I said, well, let's just ask the Holy Spirit what he thinks about that, shall we? Let's just pray and ask him. I said, Holy Spirit, will you just come and bring conviction to this person for this heinous sin? And we waited. I said, so what's he saying? Okay. Holy Spirit, will you just come? She really needs to know about this. Really needs to. Nothing. Nothing. God wasn't even bothered. I say that because we do. We beat ourselves up for the wrong things. Things that God doesn't even think are important. And there might be an aspect of I need to change the way I do things or the way I speak to people. But let God deal with the roots that are really the roots. Ask him to search you by the Holy Spirit. Do you want to do that right now? Should we just stand together? And I know that some of you are already under conviction now. Already under conviction of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I'm not going to make that awkward for you. But we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and show you now what to do. And then at the end, we're going to put some music on. If you want to come and talk to me, uh, or, or just have a quiet word or prayer, then that's absolutely fine. We'll do that, okay? So let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come and work on our hearts. Lord, this is a scary message and it's not a light one when it concerns forgiveness from sin. But thank you, Lord, that your grace is for us and is liberally applied. Thank you, Lord, that you do not condemn us, but you do convict us. And when you convict us, it's because you want to change us and to set us free. It comes with a solution. Condemnation leads to despair. Conviction leads to action and a change of heart. So Holy Spirit, we just simply want to pray David's prayer and say, search me, O God, and show me, Lord, if there's any unforgiveness in me.
And right now, just while we're asking the Holy Spirit, there may be some names or some faces coming into your mind. That's okay. That's because that's what God wants you to deal with today. You might be able to just say, okay, Lord, fair cop, so-and-so, I forgive you for doing that. You might be able to just do that right where you are now, and that's great. Or it may be opening a nest of worms, a can of worms even. And you might say, well, I just can't deal with that right now, and that's fine. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that. But first of all, I just want to say, Holy Spirit, if there's anybody now that you want to set free, if you want to just release them now, would you just come and show us? Just come and show that person there, in Jesus' name. Just going to wait for a moment. Is there anything or anybody, Lord, that you want to want me to forgive? Are there any blocks? And just if there are, just very quietly where you are, just pray in your mind. That's fine because God can hear your thoughts. Just pray in your mind and just forgive where you're able to. Okay, if you've done that, you might still have a list going on, but I do want to <laughs> bring us to a close. So you can carry on praying afterwards. But I just want to say over you now, if you've done that, a verse from the Bible is that when you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you for your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, your sin is unforgiveness. As soon as you have confessed that sin... You are forgiven, in Jesus' name. Now, Holy Spirit, if there's anything else you want to put your finger on, that maybe is this can of worms, Lord, we we invite you to do that today and over the next few hours and days. Lord, we just pray that we would be right with you and we want you to deal with roots. We want to be free people. We want to be light and happy, forgiven people. We don't want to be depressed and heavy, and we want to be able to run that race with joy and excitement because we know that we're forgiven people. We want to soar like like eagles on wings high in the thermals of your spirit. So, Lord, we just pray, have your way amongst us. Have your way in Jubilee Church. Jubilee is all about freedom. It's all about setting people free, and we want to be free. And who the sun sets free is free. Indeed. So thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So if you'd like any help, if you'd like to talk, or if you'd like prayer, very willing to do that, or Steve will help you. Uh, just, just come forward, we'll put some music on.